0: Welcome back to another episode of the Freely Roaming Podcast with Molly Mish. Today, we're going to bring you another interview that we did. So this will be episode number, episode 17. There's also going to be a video version of this on our Freely Roaming Podcast YouTube channel. And if you are seeing this on YouTube already, I hope you enjoy this. Our next episode should be a more topic-driven one. Our interview today is with Famagogo. They're friends of ours that we met here in Europe last year. They are Americans that traveled here in Europe for six months, but they've been traveling all across North America as well for the last several years. They're Peter, Kathy, and Abby. I wanted to bring you guys a different perspective of how families can travel. Even though they're a family like us, their dynamic is different. They started traveling when their daughter Abby was around 10 or 11 years old and having the transition from going to a normal school to homeschooling on the road is something that's totally different than our experience. So I hope this one will give you guys some more insight about how this works with a smaller family, with an older child, and also a different transition. Without any further ado, here's the episode. Hope you guys enjoy. Welcome, Peter, Kathy, and Abby. We are happy to have you guys on this episode. I think this is episode 7, 18, 17, 17, 17 or 18. I don't know. <laughs> okay. I better look because you know it's embarrassing to have it wrong on your own podcast. <laughs>
1: um,
0: this is So you guys are our, technically our second interview. We've only started doing interviews uh, with the last one, which was 16. And this one is 17. And with this one, with these series, we want to talk to travelers of all different kinds and obviously you guys have been traveling for a long time too and i think what you guys do is really unique do you guys want to just kind of briefly talk about yourselves a little bit and then we can dive a little deeper afterwards
2: yeah sure um we're the halcom family peter kathy nabby like you said a second ago um
0: i got it right we sold our
2: <laughs> in boulder colorado in 2014 and um made a jump into a Winnebago RV for what was gonna be a year-long road trip to take Abby when she was 10 to just see a lot of um great things places that Kathy and I have been but we wanted to expose Abby to that and have the time just to do that as a family and um we got I don't know eight eight months or so in and we were just loving it everything was going great um we thought we would have to come back to Colorado and start our business back. We were trying to maintain it from the road, but we thought we'd come back and do a little rebuilding phase after that year and, um, reestablish in a bricks and sticks kind of house, probably in um, Buena Vista, which is where we are right now, which is one of our favorite places. But, um, after that year, we realized that, dang, this was too good. Like we, we felt like we just figured it out and we, we, um, everything was working so well. We weren't really ready to quit traveling. So then, um, we told everybody we're going to do two years. we are gonna do one more year. We got all these places we want to go. Well, that year rolled around and we still weren't ready to change anything. Mm-hmm. We were still a million places we wanted to go. Mm-hmm. And so, um, at two years, we just decided we're going to do this as long as it makes sense and, um, works for our family, works for our business and, and we're enjoying it. And, um, you know, here we are, we're, um, going on our seventh year and um it's been amazing and i really i don't see any end in sight it's kind of like a new lifestyle and it's taken us so many great places that um you know i don't know we're gonna keep playing it out but it's it's been wonderful it's been an amazing journey (laughs) (laughs) dang phone
1: You check, make sure mine's on. So now everybody knows.
0: Everybody knows you're on an iPhone.
1: All the Android people just left.
0: (laughs) You know that's that is that is very very similar to a lot of people's stories, including ours. You know, we didn't think that we were gonna do this for for more than six months, even. Hmm. You know, just once you get bit by the bug, like you you know. And also after enough time on the road you realize you're never going to see it all so you're just going to do the best you can right so i feel like you guys have figured out the formula that works for you which is what we tell a lot of people is i can't tell you what to do for yourself you have to figure out your own way to do it because if you try to copy my way and we're not the same people it's going to be a disaster So I think this podcast will also help people in seeing how people do it differently. Like, we've talked to people about our story a bunch of times. So, you know, they have an idea. If if they follow us, you know, Instagram, YouTube, maybe this podcast. But I'd love to hear more just about, like, maybe some of the details. Like, how did you guys figure out at the beginning that – that you even wanted to do this, like, or was there some kind of, like, for us, like, you guys was wanting to take our kid, go see places, but, you know, there was also a lot of just, uh, right place, right time kind of thing for us, too, you know, like, I had been self-employed for a while, and then Marlene's, you know, got pregnant, had the baby, took maternity, and, like, during her maternity, like, her company, like, you know, was kind of going under, so we're, like, okay, let's, let's just freelance. So then we both became freelancers and that, that was the, like, maybe the, even the bigger catalyst that said we don't have to stay here and do this. Was there something like that for you? Were you guys already self-employed and able to do it?
3: Yeah, we owned our own photography business. We specialized in creating extraordinary experiences for people in wild places and then creating decor, custom decor for the home. And we'd been doing that for 10 years, 12, yeah, years. 12 years. And um, our business was booming and we were traveling all the time to go to these amazing locations to shoot in. And then we were traveling all the time for fun. And home was just like this place that was really a pain. We had to go back and take care of it and pay an exorbitant amount for it and
2: mow the, it, mow the grass yeah and it and was just this laundry. anchor point point.
3: Right. and one time when we were coming back from moab utah after a photo shoot we were photographing a wedding out there um and we were leaving the next day it was literally going home doing laundry and then heading out the next day i was like man i wish we could just spend this day playing in utah going climbing or biking or whatever and on that drive home i was like you know we own our own business we get to set our own terms why why are we going home to this anchor and peter was like because we have to we're responsible adults <laughs> and like that's what you do yeah haven't and you I've... read
0: the manual about living in america
3: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> everybody goes home right, right. <laughs> yeah right on that drive home, I was like, you know, I think that we can run our business without a home base, without a studio space, without any of that, because we're traveling anyway to shoot, and we could go to our clients' homes and meet with them, and they would probably love that even more. And Peter's like, no, that's preposterous. We're not doing that. (laughs) (laughs) But that idea resonated over the next six months and pretty soon we started having conversations like, could we actually do this and could we still maintain the quality and service that we had always provided and pretty soon we came out of we ran out of excuses of why we had to have this building to be successful and um, to feel like we were productive and once those excuses ran out, we were like this could be amazing, but we're not sure if it's going to work. You know, we don't know anybody that's actually really done this. And that's why we set a year parameter on it. We were like, okay, well, I think we can like kind of scrimp and save and just limp our business along for a year and nothing catastrophic will happen. And then we'll go back and we'll get serious and we'll be adults again. And then after that year, we're like, oh my gosh, we have found the best life ever. Why Why would we ever go back? And we were able... Our business started growing and changing into something that we'd always dreamed it would be but never imagined was actually possible. And so now here we are, over seven years later, um, doing exactly what we want to do. And it's been amazing.
0: That's awesome. I mean, I've, I've got a whole bunch of questions based on what you just said. I, like, number one, there's always like between me and Marlene too, there's always one person between the couple that has to convince the other one. So it sounds like Kathy, that was you. Right. Yes. And Peter, like what was your moment of saying, okay, I'm going to go with her idea. Like, how did that, how did you come around to that?
2: Well, it was, it was always my dream too. Right. Um, it wasn't that I didn't want to do it or I, you know, we we'd spent a lot of, you know, three to six months at a time living out of the back of a pickup truck, you know, going all over the West, um, kayaking and climbing. But, um, once it seems like you're, you're a parent and you get kind of assimilated into that lifestyle, living in the suburbs, having a kid, having, growing a business that kind of becomes like your personality and your identity. Um, and still traveled, you know, like a lot for work and play. But um, I'd spent so much energy building this business and um, getting it to where I felt like it needed to be and where we were happy with it. Um, it was hard to let that go. Although at the same time, it was kind of um, the challenge was was up. You know, I felt like we'd done that. We were we were at that point where we're we're just going through the motions, doing what we'd been doing, um, maintaining our business, and maybe growing at some, but we we were over kind of the huge growth cycle of figuring out how to run your own business and do all that. We had it, we had it dialed at that point. And so part of the fun of your own business, right, is the figuring it out and the excitement of the chase and making it work. And then once it works for five or six years or eight years in our case, you know, it's kind of like, okay, this works now, but it's kind of feeling more like a a job, less like a a chase and less exciting. Although we were doing exciting work and we had great clients with all that. I don't want to, you know, demean any of that. But um, the idea of us doing something new and something um, so different was was exciting to me and terrifying because we'd put so much energy into getting where we were. It was kind of hard to let that go, even though your heart really wanted to try new things and um, push new boundaries. (laughs) So when she first suggested that, I was like, "Gosh, you know, we put all this energy into this. Are we just gonna let it go? And um, how would that work? How can we manage the two of them together? And um, and that that was that was what made me kind of shoot it down at first was that thought process. But then the more I thought about, it, I was like, "Yeah, like I don't want to be here mowing this grass. <laughs> I don't want to be doing maintenance on this house that I that I really saw the house as like an anchor. You know, as a place we went back to. As a place I." I'd come back from this amazing trip. I'd download all my pictures. I'd work on them. And then my mind would just start daydreaming about all the places I wanted to be. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't there. Like, that was never my dream, was to be sitting in that house working on this stuff. Um, So then um, once I kind of thought, well, we can travel. We can still be productive. We can be good parents. We can um, spend quality time in all these places we love and maybe – do more work that we're really excited about and push our boundaries professionally you know it's like let's try it what do we got to lose right we can always come back we can always buy another house mm-hmm. we can always get another job that, that feels pretty good or you know maybe not feel so good but it's it's stable and so let's try it you know the last thing you want to do is like be on your deathbed you know thinking of all the things you didn't do you know <laughs> right so, um, you don't want to so be we filled
0: with it. regret
3: yeah,
2: exactly. Yeah.
3: And we've wanted to do that since our 20s. And that was, I turned 40 the year that we, no, no, that's not true. <laughs> I, was, I was 39. And as we were 38 and 39, and I'm like, okay, I'm looking back at my 20s. And, you know, we always wanted to live on the road. Why didn't we ever do it then? And so it just felt like it's now or never. Like we've got to just give it a shot and follow the stream and see what happens. And yeah. honestly, I, we became better parents, better business people, more creative. And that's what we learned that first year. It was like, Oh wow. Like there's so much more. And that discovery process was really just pivotal and profoundly changing.
2: I hear a lot of people say, I want to go travel once my kids are out of the nest. And I think it's like, man, you better go before your kids are out of the nest because that's like primo time to, to spend with them and to really shape them and show them all the stuff that you obviously feel is important enough to do once they're out of the nest and you have your time. You know, why wouldn't you share that amazing experience with them? Too? Yeah, I mean,
0: so, I, I we hear that too. And I think, I think they're, those people's kids are getting ripped off.
2: <laughs> yeah. You know,
0: it's completely unfair for them to say, no, 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 we're gonna go do this super fun thing, but only when you're gone. <laughs> exactly. like, it's not cool. That's
1: yeah. <laughs> like hurry up, hurry Yeah. Up. <laughs> can
0: you be gone already so we can go do some fun stuff?
2: Uh, yeah, it's it's terrible. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, I I don't think people think about it that way. They think about like like what you're saying, which is you hear from people all the time is oh that's not the responsible thing. The responsible thing is to You know, stick around, send them to school, do SAT tutor and have, you know, have them go take piano lessons and stuff like that. But as far as like your business pivot goes, like usually when people do a pivot of their business, it's like something's not working out. So they got to try something new. But for you guys, it sounds like things were working really well. And I can see why that was a risk that you felt in your mind that why pivot when we got something good going. But... You know, sounds like in the long run, it's worked out even better. Now you can have both of the things that you love, which is starting running your business and travel. You know, so I think that's that's really that's really good lesson for people to to think about. It's like change isn't change isn't good or bad. Change is just change. You know what comes what comes of it is totally up to you. And, you know, with that, I want to kind of I see Abby nodding her head a lot (laughs) with this. So obviously like we have three kids but I think her experience is totally different than our kids as in she had this pre-travel memory of all you know living in Boulder and doing all that with her friends and going to school and then being on the road looks like it suits her really well too. So what what about your perspective Abby what do you think.
4: Yeah, so when I look back at life in Boulder, I don't really remember much because it's a long time ago now. <laughs> um, I just remember zipping around every weekend, like my parents said. and all. I mean, I feel like I grew up in Moab because we were always in Moab and we were always in the desert doing stuff like that. So I don't really remember Boulder life that much. Um, but I love traveling. I love meeting all the new people and I'm a whitewater kayaker and competitively, and so it's been so amazing for me to be able to travel all around the world, some of the best rivers ever. And um, I don't know, I love traveling so much.
1: Was it a hard transition for you? I'm guessing you were in public school before to homeschool.
0: I mean, that I think that question, you know, all for all of you too, because right, because you guys had to transition as well in this process. But maybe let's, yeah, how was it for you to transition, Abby?
4: Um, I don't think it was that hard for me to transition again. It was a long time ago, but um, they gave me a phone so I could keep in touch with my friends when we left. And so I was able to call my friends in Boulder, but what I found is I had my little core group of friends in Boulder and then that quickly, um, morphed into friends all across the country that we got to hang out with and travel to. I'm sure you guys are the same way. And, uh, school was probably the hardest part. We really struggled to find a program that worked for us. I was always doing an online school, Um, And we started with Colorado Connections Academy, and that didn't work. And then Keystone, and um, Laurel Springs, and I don't know, so many school programs. So that was probably the hardest shift was finding a good program for us. But, um, yeah.
3: Yeah, school was one of our biggest hang-ups whenever we were planning. This big change was... I'm actually a, a, a teacher by profession. Before we did photography. Oh, so
0: you do this. know what you're talking about. You do know what you're doing, actually. We're the are the I just monsters. assume. I just assume that you know everybody we know with kids that travel don't know what they're doing to begin with. So <laughs> not the case for you.
3: I'm excellent at middle school science, but I don't know anything about sixth grade reading or seventh. Yeah, study right. Or anything like that. Right. You know what I mainly knew is that I didn't know enough to teach. Her, everything that she needs to know. And so we did a variety of online options. And it's been a really interesting progression because we started out and we're like, we have to do an accredited school and she has to have a structured day and she needs to have teachers and all of these things. Mm. And we held really tightly to that. And so we tried one program where she had to log on all day long at school, um, which kind of defeated the point. Of traveling, when she was just staring at a screen all day long and we're like, okay, that's not going to work. And then the next program that we tried was a really, like, core knowledge. Um, She could work through it as quickly as she could or wanted to and then we could get on with the good stuff. And then we started thinking, hmm, that's funny that we're... School is, like, the thing that's holding us back from getting on with the good learning and the good Mm -hmm. life and all of that. And kind of the clincher was when we were sitting in Spain last summer and Abby was reading a textbook on Spanish in the condo. I'm like, come on, let's go do something. And she's like, No, I've got to study Spanish. And I'm like, We're in Spain. (laughs) Like, go outside and talk to somebody. Let's go get to know people. What are we what are we doing? And so that was a really pivotal insight that this thing that we had held as this standard mm-hmm. this accreditation mm-hmm. and these things that we had known might not be all that we thought they were and when, f- after that moment we shifted into maybe she doesn't have to have a high school diploma from an accredited school maybe all of these experiences. Um, exploring the world and learning from all different kinds of people and studying things that she's passionately interested in. Maybe that's where the power and the magic and the beauty of education is and giving her that hunger for learning things that she's really passionate about. You know, maybe that's more important. So we're in a shift right now. Once again, yeah. we've kind of chronically been in a shift and.
0: I mean, Um, I I totally agree that is how we look at it too. But we didn't have that transition period, like I said earlier. Now, do you think by being a teacher and having that structured methodology that you've always dealt with, with every student that you've ever had, do you think that was maybe the root of why you held on to that for so long? Do you think maybe in that sense, like it it maybe had caused these problems for you to figure out, you know, the the way that you wanted to do it?
3: Absolutely. I mean, my whole graduate education was that indoctrination, that school, yeah. this is the best way to teach kids. This is giving them exactly what they need to be successful. And, you know, when we started seven years ago, it was a very different time than it is right now. I mean, many kids are learning online right now and struggling through this whole thing. And Mm -hmm. um, I think that the entire education system has shifted a little bit in that seven years. So I think it's changing um, systemically. I think it's changing in my mind. I think it's changing around the world as what's really important to make kids successful in the future. It may be college, it may not be college, but everything that's in the education system is designed to get kids ready for college, which may right. or may not be what they need to be successful contributing adults. So These are lots of conversations yeah. that we're having right now. and We don't have an answer, but right. um, we're definitely talking and thinking and wondering and planning and all of that.
0: And certainly, depending on which country you're from, that makes a difference too. Because if you have to go into $100,000 worth of debt to get an undergrad degree that may not get you a job that pays more than $40,000 a year, that is a huge reason to go into a different type of you know, learning experience. Maybe you go into the trades, maybe you go into something very specific that will more prepare you. But then again, like that's not necessarily the perfect answer for every student too because i didn't know what i wanted to do definitely didn't know in high school and for sure didn't know for the first couple years of college (laughs) but it takes kind of college for some people to figure out what that is so if you like thrust them into like a trade yeah maybe they won't like it but you know for for compare it to going into a bunch of debt you know that's that's something that i think that's For the U.S. anyways, it's a a major factor. That's why we're also looking at having dual citizenship in Europe, you know, gives us some options where they can get almost a free education here. But we don't know, you know, hopefully we don't have to think about that for a couple more years. (laughs) But at some point that's going to come into the picture. But, you know, to go back to what you're saying about all these kids that are doing remote schooling right now in the U.S., and talking to a lot of our friends that are doing that, to me it seems like there's a lot of a lot of the like you said, these old structured methodology being applied to remote schooling that that is causing a lot of troubles for people. It's like a lot of kids are just staring at a screen where their Zoom meeting is for six, seven, eight hours a day and that is not what they want to do that's not the same experience that they've always had going to school and these teachers that are creating these curriculums and they want to keep their students busy so they're probably giving them a lot of extra work to do just to keep them busy and that's also just making the whole process like bogs down the whole process so now the parents feel obligated to keep pushing these kids so it's boring for the kids it's hard for the teachers and it's not making it easier for the parents, you know, so I've I've been telling our friends like, hey, look, like we've been doing this with our kids for their entire school career. So, you know, you guys are essentially doing this. But really, I think what needs to happen is that the, t- the schools need to give parents the option to either obviously do what the school provides, which is remote learning and the parents can go to work or work from home or whatever. But if there is a stay-at-home parent that is willing to do some of the teaching themselves, I think there should be an option, which is how we started homeschooling, is have a teacher there be just somebody who holds the parent's hand who does the teaching. And have somebody to say, hey, am I doing this right? Rather than having the teacher teach the kids directly, the parents can teach and using the teachers from the school as a resource. You know, so that's kind of what got us into homeschooling like we didn't know how to homeschool at the beginning and for so long it was like when the kids go to school we're done you know it's like when Ava went to kindergarten first grade it was like it was five years into our travels it was like hey five years is a long time we're good with that <laughs> you know yeah. but now it's like once we got our first homeschool experience was going into a Uh, open house of a homeschool charter program at a public school system in the county that we used to live in. And that's exactly what they did for us. They gave us curriculum. They gave us some, a budget to buy some school supplies. And then we did the teaching and then the teacher met with Ava every 20, every 20 school days, you know, and that gave us some confidence to be able to do this, to say, Hey, look, we're, 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 we're making sure that they're learning the right things. And then every four weeks she can talk to the teacher to make sure that we didn't screw her up. (laughs) Uh,
2: That's great. Yeah. It's a good system. Yeah.
0: So then, but you know, for, for us after a while, it, it, it with more kids and the changes, you know, so I'm sure like, you know, the, the process you're going through, which is, you know, what we've experienced too, is like, let's use the traveling. Let's use these, places that we go to as the primary method and then have the traditional thing supplement that.
3: Exactly. Yeah. Take advantage of the amazing things around you and then also make sure they get what they need too. Right.
0: Right. Exactly. I think that's the part where scares a lot of parents to think that are they getting the things they need? That's not part of traveling. Mm -hmm. So what, so between you guys, do do you do most of the schooling since that's your trade? that's your profession, Kathy, or do you guys both do it?
1: Or is she independent? You know. Yeah, how
0: <laughs> how, how, how hands-off is Abby? Like, is she pretty easygoing? Is, she pretty, pretty uh, is there a lot of yelling going on so I finish her school or we can't go kayaking? I'm Sometimes, so yeah. <laughs> um,
3: she's a super independent kid, and we had that structure in place when we first started. Um, and we learned the first year on the road that I was not the right person to teach Abby. Um, You know, I was way better in a mom role than a mom teacher role. That just wasn't a good fit for us. And so we have advisors that help her. So we have, Mm. I I have tons of friends that are teachers um, from when I was in the classroom. And so um, we rely on them to kind of just help keep her on track. And of course we we check in, but I mean, she's an independent, self-motivated kid, so... That's it's awesome. been I think pretty easy for the most part
0: yeah yeah we we have heard that too about being the mom slash teacher, especially with if you only have one one child, you know, because when there's nobody around, like you're the person they have to hang out with. And if you're the teacher that have to tell her to do something and then the next, the next moment she has to hang out with you, it's like, hey, yeah. who are you? Are you my friend <laughs> or, are you my, or are you my teacher?
3: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it, it just wasn't a good balance for us. But I mean, yeah. some people do it so beautifully, but it wasn't a good fit for us.
0: <laughs> so um, when you guys left for that first year, did you keep your house? As a like a just in case type no, situation,
2: we really debated that, and um, the thing is, we we probably it would have been a great financial investment <laughs> because our house we've we've looked it up and it's gone like through the roof. Oh, I'm value. sure it was. In, mm-hmm. It's but, in Boulder, right? Yeah. So it's gone up so, like crazy. But we saw that as kind of like. Um, if something really catastrophic happened to the house, it could bring us back from the trip and force us to stop before we were ready. You know, if like the roof blew off of it or something, and then we have to sell our RV by a, by a roof or a house that we didn't even like. So we thought about that a lot and a lot of people advised us to hang on to it. And maybe that would have been a, a great decision, but you know, it's hard to say. So we just, yeah. we just decided we wanted to cut ties with the house and um, so we sold it and that was part of the stress maybe of the whole transition was our house sold in two and a half hours from wow. we went on the market. That's we had crazy. an open house like on a Saturday morning and yeah. two and a half hours later, we had our first offer, which we accepted. And it was for more than our asking price. I mean, it was like a, was a great offer. we bought that house at a really great time to buy and we sold it at a really great time to sell it. So we did really well on that probably would have done better if seven years later now we still own the house right yeah but um, who knows what happened in there and we just didn't want the financial instability of not knowing if you know if we rented it what was going to happen to it and all that so so we sold it and um
3: but I also think that it it was a safety net that was that would to hold on to that house would have been to say that you know, we can always come back. It's it's mm-hmm. like an easy reason to stop.
0: Give you an excuse. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. And so who knows if we would have even made it a year, if it would have been like, oh, it's easier just to come home. It would be more comfortable. It would be simpler. All mm. of that. And then we would have... Not if the roof it. blew off, but
0: yeah, <laughs> it'd be easy to... Right. Yeah. <laughs> right.
3: <laughs> so I think there's a lot of power in fully committing and jumping all the way in committed to figuring out how to make it work. And if you're only part way in and part way out, you don't have that same power and motivation driving you to succeed. So I think that, um, it was a great decision. Um, Overall, if you, if you take in all the factors, I think it, it was probably the best thing that has kept us and driven us to do what we've done.
0: Do you guys still keep like a storage shed or anything or did you get rid of everything?
2: This trip was supposed to be one year, right? And we were going to come back. We we're going to buy another house and then we we're going to move all of our stuff back into this new house. So, I mean, we obviously had a bunch of garage sales and got rid of a bunch of stuff before we hit the road, but (laughs) we kept all the important stuff. And like, Mm -hmm. at this point, I have no idea what our important stuff is. I mean, I know there's a couple of things in the front of the unit where we go there twice, maybe three times a year, and we'll switch out like summer clothes for winter clothes. and, And, you know, we make some adjustments of stuff we can't haul around with us on a certain leg, but All that stuff in the middle, I have no idea what's there, and it just needs to go. But then it's like we take, you know, a couple of weeks or a month. I mean, I don't know how long does it take us to go through all that. Yeah, couple of weeks is optimistic, you know. (laughs) Yeah, but but then we're also paying this stuff that we don't even care about. Yeah. So it's it's that's been something we've talked about a lot lately. Is um, what are we going to do with this? This isn't really sustainable. But um we don't have a great answer for it is
0: Yeah. Well I
2: don't know uh, if that, yeah we do we have a 10 I don't know by if it makes you stuff I don't
0: know if it makes you feel better, but we have like a six by eight or six by nine or something that prices just keep going up every year. <laughs> and I get an email with the bill every month. <laughs> yeah.
3: Yep. And so, at some that tipping point will come where it's not worth. I mean, I think we've probably spent fifteen thousand dollars to keep all of our stuff that we don't even know what it is. Yeah. And at some point, that tipping point will come where it's another anchor, and we're like, let it go. It's just not worth hanging on to. But the work of making that change happen mm-hmm. has hasn't been worth it yet.
0: <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, you need a lot of momentum to push through that one. <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah it's gonna be awful. <laughs> I yeah, you know say that's like our, our least favorite place to visit is our storage unit. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, yeah, we sure. roll
2: into there. It's always like, Ugh. yeah. Like yeah. I need that one thing that's in there, and I need you know whatever it is, and then I'm like, oh, it's gonna be terrible. We're gonna be here for two hours. We got to unload half stuff in the front to get to that one thing. And
0: yeah. Well, how many how many uh, kayaks and paddle boards do you have to move out of the way to get to the back? <laughs> <laughs>
3: We try to keep those with us, you know, twenty, okay. twenty-five 25 boards. That's
2: that's essential, that stays with us yeah. most of the time. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's
0: awesome. So, uh, I mean, I, I think that's that's, that's fairly strict. typical of of you know people that do this, especially families. I think, you know, I think it's maybe easier. I don't want to say for sure, but in my mind, it's easier for like a single guy or a couple to just walk away from it because, you know, they don't have these... I'm sure there's, like, boxes of pictures of Abby when she was a baby that you don't want to carry around, but you don't want to clothes, get rid of.
1: Or artwork. Baby clothes,
0: toys, stuff like that, you know? As soon like, as you
1: see it, it's like, oh, I can't get rid of it, even right. though you forgot about it. And It's like, oh...
0: 20 years from now you'll be so glad you kept it and all the 15,000 that you've been paying is going to be all worth it. Yeah. <laughs>
1: worth every penny. Yeah, all that <laughs> fingerprint artwork. Yeah, you know,
0: the little little footprint from the hospital that they make on yeah. the clay.
3: Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh.
0: Totally. So don't Just feel folks, bad about uh, that cuz yeah. we got that too. We're on too. the same boat. Yeah. <laughs> we did downsize.
2: It's by 9.
0: Yeah, we did. Well, we, we we started with a bigger one and we had to downsize. Oh,
3: good for you. Yeah. Well,
0: well it, it wasn't it, our a... hand Our hand was forced.
1: Yeah.
0: Our hand was forced because uh, somebody had broken into ours and stole a bunch of valuable stuff. Yeah. Oh, no. So, and it's like,
1: well, we don't need the space anymore. Right. <laughs> it's it's downsize. Like a lot of stuff
0: was broken, <laughs> stolen. So we're like, okay, let's just salvage what's left that we want to keep yeah. and just get rid of the others. So then we were able a yeah. downsize, so you know, and then we got a we got a s a small insurance settlement from from it, so you know it was it was a bad experience at the time, but I think in retrospect, it probably pushed us in the direction that we should have been going, but I'm not saying that that should happen <laughs> to you;
2: it shouldn't happen <laughs>
0: to anybody
3: blessing in
2: disguise. Yeah, <laughs> so you, yeah yeah guys what they say. switched from what an airstream to a truck camper to a the van mm-hmm. you must have experienced some growing pains there you know just going from an airstream to something smaller well
0: it's you know kind for... of
2: like moving out of your house again right. yeah, yeah yeah
0: yeah I mean I don't know about you guys but for us going to the airstream was was a very liberating experience downsizing from the house. It's like now everything's within relatively close arm's reach. So I know where everybody is. I know where everything is. I can just get to it really quick. So it's like, you know, I felt very comfortable with the downsize. And then after seven years in the Airstream, the Airstream felt like an apartment size wise to us. So yeah. that was like, okay, this is too big now. It's not taking it to places we wanted to go. So then, when we downsized to the truck camper, we like you said, we had that same feeling. Like it was like the first time going from a house to a trailer, you know. So you guys have a similar experience too, right? When you go from the house to the first Winnebago, and then the the second Winnebago, or the the Revel was your second one. Did you guys go from a
2: big one? We're on our fourth Winnebago right now. <laughs> but,
0: um... <laughs> right. Right. Well, yeah, now you're two, not, now you're uh, dual wielding Winnebagos.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. We had two views with kind of a Class C with a slide, but it's still built on a Sprinter chassis.
3: Felt like an apartment.
2: Yeah. yeah. And, right. um, it's much like what you described with the Airstream, and then um, then we went to a Revel, and now we're on a second Revel. So um, yeah, so we we've we've switched four times, but we've really only gone through that transition of like, oh no, what are we going to do? twice mm-hmm. <laughs> so from the house to the view and now to the revel
0: yeah for us it, it is.
2: it's a little bit of a something to figure out right right I mean, for us it saying.
0: was more about um less so much the size that mattered. it was more the layout what yeah. we've come to realize is that layout means everything because you know there's dudes living in honda elements that are totally thrilled <laughs> yeah. so yep. I, I think they have the right layout and i think our layout even though the van is much smaller than the airstream it's a much better mm. layout much better fit for us even though our kids are more numerous
2: and bigger yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. how's your layout in your how's the layout in the new revel
2: it's good um so the the first revel had a second bed that came from winnebago with it and that was one of the just so I love everything about this revel except where's abby gonna sleep and which so, is an important Which question. is important, right? <laughs> so we're in the process right now. That's been kind of something nice being in Colorado. We've had a little more room to spread out. And, um, but we're in the process of designing and building a, a really cool new bed system that we're excited about. It's not done yet. But um, hopefully in the next couple of weeks we'll have that ironed out. But um, in Europe last year, you know, we were in the other Revel, and it had the bed, and that worked pretty good. Although from the time we first built the bed – so when we came back, Abby had grown enough that she was touching on both ends oh, at no. that point. Oh, and she, she was, was sleeping
0: to like, east to west, bed. huh?
2: Yeah. So she's like, "Yeah, this bed isn't as good as like I remember it. It's kind of getting worse." <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so that was kind of a um, something we knew we we're gonna have to overcome in a different way. Yeah. But once we got back in North America, part of our agreement with um, traveling in the Revel, which is really small for a family of three, especially with our 70 pound labrador retriever that hangs out with us most of the time um is we thought well we'll try something that we never dreamed we'd try and we're going to get a towable and we're going to pull a a small towable trailer camper behind and then that'll kind of end up being um living space and give abby more of like a abby's room Mm -hmm. and so so she's got pretty much half of the of the towable (laughs) and we're in the states and then you know if we want to go somewhere more adventurous we can still all just park the trailer and take off in the Revel. And then when we go back to Europe we'll just leave the trailer here and we'll go just in the Revel. So you know it's 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 been a it's been a compromise. we were definitely more comfortable in our old view uh, as far as um just being parked somewhere and feeling like we had plenty of room and space. But the Revel has afforded us to go to Europe and to go to these really far flung, you know, hard to get to spots that we were always bumming rides when we were in our RV and trying to go with other people and especially our kayaking, you know, there's a lot of places to get to rivers that are down really rough dirt roads. And there was just never an option for us to take the the view there. We tried a few times and we really regretted it. So we learned the hard way, but um, yeah. (laughs) Rebel's been a really good compromise, but it's also got its own challenges too. So and I think that's how this life is, right? There's not one vehicle that works perfect for everything. Right. It's just kind yeah. of the season you're in and what type of travel you want to do and hopefully you can um, figure out the vehicle side of it that'll support that best.
0: Did you guys even, consider
2: you know, always
0: Did you guys can, consider towing like a Jeep or something behind the view for those kinds of things? Did,
2: but in the view we care we had this um, utility trailer this um closed car okay so you already towed something and that's where literally we would bring 24 kayaks or paddle (laughs) boards would be in the trailer and so um, we had a motorcycle in there and climbing gear and bicycles you know all the it was we called it the garage and we really treated it like you would have a garage at home it's like all that kind of stuff went in the garage and it worked really well but um yeah you know maybe someday we'll do a, a class c with a jeep or Something behind it that will allow us to still go to those remote places, but um, but then we'll be able to carry less kayaks, so I don't know. You know, it's a compromise.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, we, we went through, uh, we did a year after we got the truck camper, and we did a year towing a small trailer behind too, which in North America, like what you guys are doing now is perfect. You know, you don't really have issues with driving through small cities and narrow roads, as much especially out west but what we found though is at least for us when we got the little 17 foot casita that we towed behind the casita became our home then we didn't live in the truck camper anymore and we really oh, just really? did it yeah so we just did it so because i was still working full-time remotely so i just had it so i could have an office i guess it's kind of like abby having her hangout room back in the uh, in the trailer right now so is is the is the current setup before you have the second bed built in the revel is is abby just abby are you just sleeping by yourself in the trailer
4: yeah i'll sleep in the trailer sometimes like if dad goes somewhere to photograph or something mom and i can sleep in there because there's two bunk beds Mm -hmm. yeah um and so that works and we were cooking in there because you know bigger kitchen and A table, a table at all, where we could all um, eat dinner together and stuff like that. It's a great hangout. Yeah, Yeah. cool. I think that's kind of how
0: we ended up being in the casita full time, which is less work. Like we didn't want to have like a whole separate set of kitchen cookingware and plates and bowls, and (laughs) taking it back and forth was not worth it. You know, so and also having having the the truck always ready to go somewhere without the trailer. So you didn't have to like drop the top and put things away. You can just hop in and go. That was always nice yeah. too. But then I, I, I do think, I do think then you get you nice. get to the point where you're like, you know, oh. like why do we have that thing if we're just driving the truck around? <laughs> um, and the other trouble that we ran into, I don't know if this happened to you guys yet. Um, you know, whenever we would stay at like a campground, like a even like a county campground or mm-hmm. a state park even, They'll want to charge us for two campsites because we have two camping units. Oh, you know, like we haven't happened to that? that
1: much. Yeah, it only happened in we, Southern we California. Do a lot of
2: though. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, okay. you know, some some places um, some places don't care at all. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I think boondocking obviously doesn't matter, but places that we have come across that they it just. It made no sense. There are two places specifically in California that did it. Mm-hmm. And they had this they compromise that one place is, okay, if you don't pop up the top on your truck camper, then we'll let you keep it. Yeah. It's like, okay, what what is the point, you know? So I'm <laughs> no, glad that, ha- happened, ha- that hasn't happened to you guys yet. I
1: think it's California okay, problems. Okay, we'll be on the lookout.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, now that there's twice as many people out, you know, tooling around with RVs, yeah. yeah,
2: maybe all the sites are full, so they'll just let us stay in one. Yeah,
1: yeah,
0: yeah. Like in Washington, like we we would even share a site with a friend. Yeah, you know they didn't care. Yeah, but yeah, California, <laughs> them and all their yeah. rules. <laughs> yeah. we can
1: say that it's our home state. Right. <laughs> yeah.
0: it's a love, love hate California. relationship.
1: <laughs>
0: like all healthy ones, there should be a little bit of a little bit of hate with a lot of love.
3: Right, a little tension. Yeah, as a, right. To the if I'm just so
0: blindly 100 percent in love, then then I'm I'm falling into some kind of cult personality spell. <laughs>
3: You're missing something, right? <laughs> right. I'm
0: I'm not seeing all the faults. Right. There's there's got to be something there. So, I mean, for those for the people that don't don't follow you guys, they've noticed that we talked a lot about Winnebago. Do you want to talk talk to us about? the relationship and how that kind of spawned and how that's working
2: yeah so um we when we're shopping i mean originally we we're gonna do a diy sprinter van build for this one year you know that's what we were gonna do and um i i um was talking to my dad and he's like ah oh, you know it's gonna be a lot of work and you're gonna have to take a lot of time to do it and um and he's like, why don't you just go look at RVs? I was like, oh, I don't want an RV. You know, they're big, they're clunky. They won't go to the places I want to go. They guzzle a lot of gas. You know, it's just not what I was after. And so then um, he kind of kept on me and then finally I was like, okay, I'll go look. We'll go to this deal this weekend. We'll just poke around and I'm sure I'm not going to like anything. <laughs> but we went in there anyway and we looked at all these, you know, big class C's and A's and I was like, yeah, that's not going to go where we want to go. And the salesman finally, he's like, "Well, we got this one thing. It's kind of weird, but you guys might like it." (laughs) uh, He's like, "It's called a Winnebago View, and it's built on this funny German Sprinter van chassis." Yeah, it's it's a company called Mercedes.
0: Mercedes. Maybe you've heard of it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and um, he's like, "But look at it." And he's like, "He's like, really? The Winnebagos are built better than anything. You know, the plumbing's all on the inside, and it's built to handle the cold and." you guys might like it, and so we walked over, and it was a used one. And um, we walked in, and it felt like a little, um, like Japanese apartment. It was like everything was just tight and compact, but it had all this cool little storage, and the, the cabinetry was beautiful. It was all flush with these cool little push button knobs, and <laughs> it just looked awesome. And I was like, huh, I, you know, at least I said maybe. It wasn't like an absolutely not. And so I was like, well, can we drive this? And he's like, yeah, sure. So we took it out and drove it. And before I even got on the highway with it, I was like, this drives like a minivan, like, and in a good way, it didn't feel so big and cumbersome. And I was like, yeah, this, this might've changed my mind on everything because when we park and it had a slide, you pop the slide out, it had a lot of room. And, um, it wasn't going to go all the places that what I envisioned with just a, a straight sprinter van would, but it was going to certainly offer a lot of mobility with a lot of comfort. And so we walked away from that, and uh, I think Kathy and I both were like, "Wow, yeah, let's let's look for one of those. Let's see what we can find one of those for." And you know, we were on a pretty tight budget.
3: And then our house sold in two and a half hours, and we had twenty days to figure it out. And we're like, mm. how are we going to build our own van out in yeah. 20 days, right? Yeah.
2: <laughs> so I started getting on RV Trader and calling around all over the country, and um, I found one in Texas, and they said it was beautiful, and you know, it's all the the salesman um, stuff they tell you. And sure enough, I flew it to Dallas, got to the dealer, and it was awesome. It was it was what six years old, but it looked like it'd been kept in a garage every night. Great shape. It only had, I think, twenty four thousand miles on it, and so I was like, "We'll take it." And I drove that thing home. And literally, by the time I got home, we had like a week and a half before we had to be out of our house. Hmm. It might not even that. It might have been like four or five days.
1: I think it was like a (laughs) couple of days.
2: And um, so we made that transition really quick, and that worked really well. So back to your story of how we met Winnebago is so now we own this Winnebago, and we kind of came into it very organically which is um, a big part of I think having success with any brand is having a natural organic um, relationship with their product. And so um, part of me being a commercial photographer, we were at the outdoor retailer trade show in um, Salt Lake city that year. And we're going around and we're talking to all these different brands that I was hopefully going to do work for. And some that I already was. And we look in the little um, show um, catalog and it says, you know, Winnebago industries has a booth could that be the same Winnebago? Like we just bought this Winnebago. Like we should just go by and tell them, you know, how much we're liking it. And I wasn't even thinking this would be a relationship or a a business thing or or any kind of arrangement. I just wanted to just tell them how much we've been enjoying it.
3: We wanted to tell them how much it had changed our life because we had been living in it for um, almost two months at that point. And so we walked into their booth and plunked down all three of us and like, you are going to believe this. We just sold our house and moved into a Winnebago. And it's the best thing we ever did. And we're just telling all these stories. And the lady that was there was like, wait a minute. You guys are living as a family in a Winnebago? <laughs>
2: like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's like, well, we just started this blog called Winnebago Life. And um, they're looking for contributors. And you guys, you know, if you do photography and can you write... And Kathy's like, well, yeah, I I used to write emails and and, uh, I label my groceries
0: in the cabinet.
2: Exactly. (laughs) It's like, I want to get your information and um, we're going to have our, you know, our editor might be interested in talking to you guys. Like, oh, great. So we just kind of left and whatever. And then we get this call um, and the editor calls us and we talk for just 20 minutes and tell them what we're doing. And he's like, okay, this is great. Like we're starting this new blog. It's not up yet, but we're looking for people. And I think you guys have a great story and we'd love for you just to share your experiences. And they are like, okay, cool. And I was like, well, we're we're going, we're crossing the border to Canada tomorrow. We're not going to have cell service for a while. Um, but in two, three weeks, let's talk again. And he's like, God, that's great. So, um, rolls around. We have a few little emails back and forth and, um, we, um, at that point, had crossed back into the States, and we just got done kayaking around the Statue of Liberty in New York. And um, we knew we had this meeting, and we were, we were doing photography for Jackson Kayak, who's another company that we work for. And we were shooting these kayaks and this adventure that we were doing around the Statue of Liberty. And we're like, oh, man, we got this meeting. It's like 45 minutes. So we jump out, and we throw our boats over by the, kayak, the, the RV. We go to a picnic table. We set up our computer much like we are right now, and we've got the Statue of Liberty over our shoulder. But we're still like wet, and you know we just come out of the salt water. And um, this editor, Don, pops on the screen as a Skype call, and he's and we're talking, and he's like, "Is that the Statue of Liberty over your shoulder?" We're like, "Yeah, we just got done kayaking around it." And he's like, "Oh my God, you guys are great!" Like
4: you're perfect
2: like you're hired <laughs> so we basically landed this job as the first contributors to Winnebago Life and um you know that consisted of you know writing a handful of articles a year and um not really any pay or anything but it was just like cool to connect with the brand and then that turned into you know me over over months and early years of starting to do more of their lifestyle photography around all their vehicles and now when they have a new vehicle you know we um or like the Revel, um, before the Revel was actually launched, we picked up two of them in Denver, and they said Joe's Guide Service on the side of it in these magnetic signs that covered <laughs> up where it said Revel because it was like top secret that oh, the Revel was going to. Yeah. But RV companies had built a, uh, like mainstream RV companies had built a a, a van out on a four by four Sprinter chassis, so this was kind of a big departure. Um, and so we brought it out here and we were in Colorado and over in Moab and we shot it for 2 weeks and made these videos and stuff and that became the Revel launch video that then you know the Revels I think pretty safe to say it's their most successful um model they've ever had and um and so we've gone on to then growing kind of what we do for them and now so we're brand ambassadors, we're photographers, we're um we give them feedback on products, we'll go test things before they're out and give them feedback We wear a lot of hats with Winnebago, but it's been an amazing relationship. And it's one of those ones where we never would have even had our foot in the door if we hadn't bought that first Winnebago on our own. Because they really don't like, you know, they get hit up all the time. Somebody, oh, give me a free RV. I'm going to do this great social media campaign. Hmm. And they're always like, no, you know, we want real (laughs) people who have kind of put their money into owning their product for the reasons that they want people to own their product. And then if you have the skills, then, you know, maybe you can build something from there, but um, it's been amazing for us. And, and it has opened up a lot of other doors. You know, now we work with Mercedes and I know you guys too. And um, it's been, it's been wonderful. And, you know, these are the type of things that if I was still sitting in my house in Boulder, I would have never had these opportunities, but you've got to, you've got to kind of take that, First step off the cliff, see what's going to happen, and um, I can almost guarantee no matter what you do, something good's going to happen out of it if you if you try and you're positive about it, you know. Yeah,
0: that. and I think it's also how you look at it, right? Because I think a lot of people can have the exact same experience and talk about all the negative stuff. So I really yeah. think that how you how you perceive your situation has a lot to do with it. And going yeah. back with the whole Winnebago thing, I do really think that Winnebago is one of the RV companies that really listen to their customers the best. I don't, you know, I think, I, you know, we talked about this last year at Caravan Salon, too, you know, when they were there. Because when you, when you look at the, the Revel line, that it was the first major manufacturer doing a vehicle like that, but not in Europe, right? Europe, people in Europe have been doing this forever, So they're really just tapping into something that already exists, but hasn't really blossomed yet in the U.S. And then they they ran with it. You know, like having owned Airstreams for a long time, like I think Airstream and Winnebago are two of these like iconic RV brands that have been in the U.S. for a long time. And I think Airstream has been writing on their brand purely, you know, just the recognition, the shape. The materials that is used to build these, just writing on that as their, you know, formula to success. Whereas Winnebago, I think they've really tried really hard to build the right products that that make sense for people. So I feel like I have really positive things about Winnebago in my mind. But even though I've never owned one, <laughs> <laughs> you know, because I I think when we yeah, when we came great. when we came to this, you know, because we that's how we came across Airstreams is like, we didn't, we we knew we didn't want a class C because all the, all the negative connotation you think of them, like they're plastic, they're made of like wood or, you know, they have giant swoosh stickers on the side uh-huh. all the stuff like that. Like we wanted yeah. to, we wanted to live the no swish life, you know? <laughs> so I think that's how we got into Airstreams, but you know, we didn't get into like sprinter vans until much, much later. And I think by the time we got into sprinter vans, you know, there's just no company out there building a sprinter van for five people. You have to build yeah. it yourself. You know, I don't – and I also don't think that, like, it's it's the right market for somebody like Winnebago to go into. If they built a Revel for five people, they would sell very few of them. <laughs> you know? So even for you guys, right? Because you have to kind of engineer the second bed for even just the family of three.
2: Yeah. Well, Winnebago will listen to people, and if this is this is kind of guess what really impressed me the most when I first was getting to know them is they had a change that a lot of people said, "Hey, what about this?" And it wasn't like something was broken; it was just like this could be better. And they actually made a change like mid-model year. They just like decided an assembly line. Oh, we're stopping it here. Everyone made from here on. It's, you know, the change, not because we're going to promote it as a new selling feature in the next year model. It's just like, this is just better. And so if they can do things like that, they'll just start improving on something, which is great. I mean, you obviously see that in the next model year when they make a big jump, but um, I was really impressed that they would just change mid run and they are always listening. They're going to RV shows. They're going to rallies. They're out and about using the products and talking to owners and they're watching the forums and all that too. And they're, they're taking notes and, you know, some things that people request just don't make any sense, but other things, you know, maybe make a lot of sense and they're going to mm-hmm. make those changes. Um, and, you know, you mentioned the um, having a van that sleeps more than for a couple, you know, so many, almost all the American vans are set up for couples, you know, and it's usually th- their, their demographic is a retired couple. Like kids are gone and now they're going to travel. Well, we're going to both us, We're proving that's not the case always and that it has its benefits. Um Winnebago has made this new van called the Solus, and it's got a it's got a bed in the back and a pop top, and it'll sleep four, so it might be a little tight for you guys. (laughs) But they are thinking, like, man, there could be families that want to travel in a small van Mm -hmm. and um not be in a big RV. And um that van actually selling really great right now. So it's on the Dodge Chrome.
0: Like, even last year at Caravan Salon, you could tell, and I think they they must have noticed it, too, when they were there, is the high-top pop-tops were a new thing that happened last year. Yeah. So, yeah. So
2: paying I think, attention.
0: Yeah, so they are paying attention, and they're taking notes. They're listening to people. So I think that's, it's, yeah, that sounds like a great, great partnership you guys have with them.
2: Yeah. We love it. It was really educational to go to the caravan salon last year, That's, you know, where we first kind of met you guys. I mean, we knew you guys online before then for sure, but it was great to get to talk to you a little bit and hang out at the Dometic booth. Yeah, but, it, um, was
0: a, it was it was an interesting experience for us too. I mean, <laughs> great experience to meet you guys, even though it was very brief, but great experience yeah. for us. But everything just feels like a blur now because it was so... <laughs>
1: There's a lot of talking. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was fun. We should
2: Yeah. You... I was is amazed at any... that show how many bunk beds I saw in vans. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You, know, yeah. you
2: guys you guys did that and I'm like, oh man, like every corner I'd walk around, there's either a pop top or bunk beds. And yeah, I was like, we definitely this is great. I hope the American designers are paying attention to this. I know Winnebago is, but yeah. Wouldn't it yeah. be great if all the other brands jumped on that bandwagon and there's just more choices for families to get out right. there and, and travel?
0: Well, I think a lot of them are realizing that people want to go smaller, you know, because there, there's obviously have been bunk beds in trailers and Class mm-hmm. C's and yeah. you know even $20. the B pluses sometimes, but still anything like Class B plus and below, you know, they think it's too small. But like I said, the you know earlier is that it's about the layout, right? So there are layouts that will work, and in even in caravans along, you know, European vans are the sort of the the majority of all the rvs and it hasn't been the case in the u.s in the past but i think all the vans are just they're they're catching up you know i think pretty soon if not already happened they're going to be more vans than other types of rvs so you know they're going to have to figure that out and i think it's smart for, for winnebagels to do that to go there and learn what the europeans are doing but what you were saying like there are a lot of a lot of family-oriented vans in caravans along, but we only saw one that was made for five and it was uh <laughs> eh, it was built it was built kind of weak it wouldn't i think the way that it was constructed it would not have survived the way we use it yeah not on the dirt roads
2: <laughs> well, there's something to be said for if you want it done right do it yourself <laughs> we'll yeah you yeah
0: that. for yeah. sure and that's actually you know pretty apropos for this last week that we've been through having to <laughs> figure out how to fix our our suspension and doing the trying to find somebody to weld our our cracked frame and everything's so like we can't get people to do it and at the and also the on the other hand is like if people don't want to do it and we make them do it like are they going to do a good job you know yeah it's, it's not their van so why do they care yeah. so we ended up yeah having to go through jump through some hoops so we got it done and now we're happy to be back in the van yeah Good. Yay. <laughs> so, so, where do you guys?
1: I was going to ask. Oh, yeah. Where do you guys about by your next travel plans? You guys, you have this new revel, and where Why? do you guys see yourself? You know, I know everything's shut down and nobody's yeah. post pandemic.
0: Post pandemic, right?
3: where do you guys we have see, to assume? see yourselves? Oh, well, we have the immediate plan, and then we have post pandemic plans
0: <laughs> Okay, okay. <laughs> so you have immediate plans. That's that's better than us. <laughs> <laughs>
3: They keep changing by the yeah. week. I We've think. had a lot of
2: plans, though.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
2: we the might last be on six months.
3: Plan with you or why? Something like that at this point. <laughs> but um, you know, for the immediate future, we're um, planning to head west. So we're going to go um, to the west coast. We're going to get some um,
2: surfing in.
3: Yeah, get some work done on our Revel to make it ready for the next longer-term plan Um, and then just kind of explore the desert southwest and then after the holidays we are gonna go east. Abby has um, some training for the upcoming kayak world championships that are next July so we'll be pretty focused on that starting after Christmas and taking her to rivers and where she can practice and train. And then the big picture is we're hoping to head back to Europe and um, explore that, and then um, this time we're gonna plan at least a year. We realized six months wasn't even the tip of the iceberg last <laughs> time, <laughs> so we want to come back and do a lot of things that we didn't that we missed out on last time, and then who knows what's next Africa, South America, Australia, New Zealand um, abroad. so we'll see we'll see how the world shapes up and what what we're what we're able to do and what we're not.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, that's I exciting. Mean, I feel like we'll be here for another two years, possibly <laughs> more, because by the time we get there there'll be like a fifth year will will allow me to get permanent residency. So there's a chance oh. we've been here for three years. So we really Are looking forward to seeing you guys come back and do some traveling with you guys.
1: Yeah, spend some time. That would be great. We can't
2: wait. You guys definitely inspired us to go to Europe. You know, we were we kind of had the thought, but then we like, whoa, they're they're already going there. Like doing it. How's this working? And then it was like it looked like a dream. You know, with everything you guys are posting, and it was like, oh yeah, we got to go do that. Yeah. So thank you for blazing that path.
0: (laughs) Oh, for sure. Anytime. But, uh, you know, obviously we weren't the first one to do it. So we can't, we can't take all the credit. We've oh. seen lots of people, you know, yeah,
2: yeah,
0: yeah, for sure. And, you know, like for us too, is like finding out, figuring out the logistics and, and go through the process and doing all that. You know, once you've done it once, I think your next one, you're going to know everything to do, like, you know, the process, yeah. like nothing will be new. So it's going to, it's going to be hopefully a lot easier. Um, I think it and, and what what are your um, how how was Europe last time like what did you spend most of your time here and what did you like
2: about it um I mean, we liked everything about it um <laughs> it, I mean from the moment we got our van from the shipping depot there in Zabrouge Belgium it was like that was pretty easy like that we thought we yep. were gonna be mm-hmm. Crying and screaming and cussing more than we did. And it really was easy. And we walked yeah. away We're like, wow, why, why don't more people do this? That was really no big deal. Like, okay, well, the hard part's got to be coming here next. <laughs> yeah. right? And then we finally found the gas station. We figured out the weird street signs and, you know, all the stuff that's different. Like, okay, that wasn't that bad. And yeah, typical so, I mean, culture shock stuff. Yeah, yeah it's a little culture shock. But actually, we'd been to Europe before. And I had more culture shock on that trip being um flying and doing a rental car and mm-hmm. um, and trains, riding trains. Mm-hmm. And we we felt like this trip was so much easier because yeah. I think you don't have the stress of international travel because you get in your van, you close the doors, you put up your blinds, you shut the windows, mm-hmm. you and it's the same as it is at right. home mm-hmm. in the States. You might hear some weird languages outside but um, it's it really felt the same, and it gave us that chance to feel like we were at home, even though, I mean, really, we were at home, right? We were in our mm-hmm. same vehicle that we live in, in the states. But um, it was all great. I mean, we loved everything. Um, we, gosh, I mean, you ask us, we would each probably say a different country was our favorite. But um, I think okay, we all let's enjoyed hear it. all aspects. What's, what's of each it. of
0: your each of yours favorite, and and why why is it your favorite? <laughs>
3: For me croatia was my favorite um we sea kayaked around the isle of rap and Mm -hmm. and we were there in october there was nobody there yeah nobody
0: october is the best month i think to be here
3: yeah and just the people the culture the scenery all of it i just i loved everything about it
2: christ is a gem for sure
3: and I love being able to go from the ocean and experiencing that environment to up into the mountains, and it was like being in Colorado, and just that diversity. Um, that was definitely hands down my favorite.
0: I think country. I think that's uh, the landscape, the islands, the sea, the Adriatic. I think that's one of the big reasons I think Croatia was led into the EU, <laughs> 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 make it easier for other yeah. Europeans to get here. Yeah.
2: Go
4: ahead, Abby. Um, For me, I'm torn because of kayaking. But for kayaking, I'd say the UK and France. Um, France, just like the culture, the people, the rivers, like everything, the food. Um, and then I also really love Portugal and um, Croatia as well because they're amazing. <laughs> yeah.
0: So you can't choose, Abby, right? It's too hard to <laughs> choose. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I really liked um, Norway. It's like a photographer's paradise. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, we we did drove all the way up to Nordkop like you guys did, and that was just so varied and different, and seemed so foreign to us being you know from the states, and then getting up there and there's reindeer everywhere, and mm-hmm. you know it was just it was just awesome. And I love ferries. I think of ferries is like you can be in your van on a normal road trip, but then you get this little mini cruise in there where you enjoy the water, and um, and some of those ferry rides were just spectacular but then i also really love the dolomites in northern italy i can't wait to go back there but but really this is like a list of um two things that were like very high on my list and all the other things are like just a hair under those so they were all really great you know croatia was great and um slovenia was amazing and you know of course i love all the alps so you know it was I think it's um it's amazing and I hopefully in the future more people will do like we've done and put their vans on a boat and go to Europe and spend quality time exploring it's it's so easy to do. Um, and I yeah. think there's a lot of people who think it's going to be super complicated and your your van's going to have to go through inspections and have all this mechanical stuff done and it's not the case, you know, it's just like I tell people it's like going to Canada, you know, you drive across the border And you enjoy yourself, right? And it's the same when you vote in Belgium. You just take off and have a great time. So it's a wonderful way to go. So um, I just want to say one thing. Abby has a babysitting job. (laughs) (laughs) And she's um, got to help the babysitter. So maybe she could excuse herself and we can carry on. Yeah, so uh,
0: actually we probably just have the last part left of you guys telling us where everybody can find you, like where you're sharing all of your content. And also like, do you have any new announcements that you like to give us an exclusive of?
2: <laughs> ah. Well, no um, pressure. If,
0: you know, if, if it's uh, Mexican food for dinner, that's fine too. Like we're, we're excited about stuff like that.
2: I think you can find us online in a couple of places. We have our website. We go by the handle of famagogo. And um, our website's just www.famagogo, F-A-M-A-G-O-G-O.com. And then uh, we're on Instagram. Um, it's just my name, Peter Holcomb. And then Abby is on Instagram as adventurous.miss. And um, we, we post a lot to Instagram. That's kind of our main um, platform. But we also do, you know, Facebook and stuff too. And you can find us in the same names there. Um, YouTube. On YouTube. Yeah. We've started a YouTube channel. It's, it's in its infancy, but we've been posting a lot of videos from our time in Europe. That's what quarantine has been really good for is having time to (laughs) just sit there and edit. So, and that's just, um, just Peter Holcomb, C O M B E there's an E on the end. And, um, yeah, you'll see a lot of our European travels and, um, things that we thought were different and interesting over there. Um, I don't know as far as announcements. I don't know there's anything (laughs) really hot right now. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But um, we're just looking forward to getting, you know, figuring out this new normal. I don't know there's going to, things are going to go back to exactly like they were, but we're looking forward to figuring out how to work in these new parameters and get back to the the traveling that we really want to do and um, keep exploring.
1: Thank you. Great. Thank you for chatting with us, guys. It was was a lot of fun.
2: Yeah,
0: this is really fun. I mean, definitely talking to another family because everybody, like I Thank said, you, at the for you know, people have different perspectives, and hearing your perspective and where you guys came from and your, you know, how you made it work is really cool.
2: Likewise, you guys have been inspiring to us, and it was great to meet you guys. And I really hope we can go to Morocco together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we'll
0: that would be well, fun. We'll and, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and have fun on your babysitting gig. <laughs>
4: Thanks. <laughs>
1: yeah. All right. Yeah. Thanks, All guys. Right, guys. All right, guys.
0: Okay. And there you go. That was our conversation with Peter, Kathy, and Abby of Famagogo. They were a really fun family to talk to. And we can't wait to see them again next year when they come back to Europe. What well, we also forgot to mention in our conversation is that Abby is a competitive kayaker. She travels the world competing with other kayakers in rivers and oceans. Go check them out on their blog at Famagogo.com. Then I'll put all the links to their Instagram, their YouTube channel, and their blog in the show notes on freelyroaming.com slash podcasts or in the YouTube description. Thank you guys again for downloading and watching our Freely Roaming podcast. We'll see you guys in the next one.